Let's turn, if you will, in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 14 through 37, the whole rest of the passage. Jeremiah 2, let's read down through verse 19 to begin and then we'll pray. Is Israel a servant? Is he a a home-born, home-born slave? That's a hard word to say. Is he a home-born slave? Why is he plundered? The young lions roared at him and growled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Also the people of Noph and Tapanis have broken the crown of your head. Have you not brought this on yourself, in that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And now why take the road to Egypt to drink the waters of Seor? Or why take the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the river. Your own wickedness will correct you, and your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God, and the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we do ask for the blessing of your Spirit. To understand, Lord, this passage as we tie it into our study last week in the first part of this chapter, that it might make sense to us, especially to those who may not have been with us last time, but to make sense to all of us, Lord, of the prophecy that was not only given to Judah, but, Lord, truths that are given to us throughout this whole passage, to encourage us to trust you, to encourage us to rely upon you and to call upon you, Lord God, in our time of need. Help us, Lord, to learn lessons tonight that will be beneficial for our walk in Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great tragedies of mankind is the foolishness of believing oneself to be free and all the while being in bondage and slavery to someone or to something. An addiction or another person or to a faulty and false ideal, a faulty and false philosophy or even a faulty religious belief. People who today say they are free to do whatever they'd like to do to, for, and with themselves, in other words, their body, their souls, and their minds, oftentimes find themselves the victims of the very things they think they have total control over. We find that uh, to be true in our day and time. How many people have addictions to drugs or to alcohol, addictions to pornography, addictions even to money? And you you have to ask the question, who or what is in control? Paul the Apostle dealt with this issue when writing to the church in Rome. He writes to the Romans in Romans 6, verses 11 through 14. He says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but uh, present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, 
and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin, notice, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Now, Paul goes on to say in verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? And he says, certainly not. God forbid. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are the ones, or you are that one slaves, I should say. You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked. That though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now folks, that's pretty clear. Paul was dealing with that very issue. Of people thinking that they're free, and yet in bondage to someone or something. In general, to be in bondage to sin to the things that are not righteous, to the things that are not holy, to the things that are not pleasing to God. So as Paul is dealing with individual people, in this particular passage that we read in Romans 6, as God is dealing with individual people, consider then, if you will, then a whole nation of people, those who had been set apart by God as His people, set free from the slavery of Egypt, delivered from the barrenness of the wilderness experience, though God took care of them and gave them everything they needed in that experience, protected them from the evils of pagan nations, being made to realize, you know, consider this whole nation being made to realize that they were no longer enjoying the blessings of freedom due to their own rebelliousness and to their own sin. The prophet Jeremiah was given the calling of reminding Judah, as we saw last time, reminding Judah of God's love for them in spite of the fact that they were being pictured as an unfaithful wife to the Lord, as a broken sisters that couldn't hold any water. That's verses 1 through 13. And now they are reminded that they had once been set free by God, no longer to be slaves, And yet, because they turn from God, they have placed themselves in bondage once again. Now look at, if you will, at verses 14 through 16. Is Israel a servant? Now it makes a little bit more sense. If you came in with us tonight for the first time, then you kind of wondered where, where were we going with this. But now it makes sense. Is Israel a servant? Notice the kind of questions that God is asking. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he plundered? You know, if you begin to ask the questions, you know, they they were set free. They're not slaves. They're not to be servants. God did not want them to be servants except to him. So why then is Israel plundered? Why has Israel faced this judgment? Well, verse 15 says, The young lions roared at him and growled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Also the people of Noph and Tapanes have broken the crown of your head. Israel was never, never to be at the beck and call of an overlord. Israel was never to be at the beck and call of another nation or another, another people or another king or another god. The Lord God of Israel was to be their king, their sovereign, and their ruler, but without a thought of loyalty. Think about this. Without a thought of loyalty to their God, they ran to one great power after another, allying, or allying, I should say, with its pagan neighbors. In this particular case, Egypt and Assyria, as we shall see. They would align themselves with them, they would ally with them, instead of trusting their Lord. And you know, the interesting thing is that it wasn't just bad kings that were doing these things. Even a couple of good kings found themselves in, in that predic- uh, particular predicament with God. And so in other words, 
they were trusting in Egypt, they were trusting in Assyria for security against Babylon instead of the God that loved them. Instead of trusting in the God that loved them, that created them, that made them for His purposes. And in all of this, we see this terribly wicked web that is woven here. The young lions that are mentioned could refer to the invasions by the Babylonians. A lion was, uh, in many cases, a symbol of, of the Babylonian Empire, so many believe that it's just the Babylonians. So they were invading, you know, at times little pockets of places before they completely took over Assyria and then and became the world power. But it could also refer to some things that happened from Egypt. It could also refer to some attacks and invasions by certain pharaohs. For example, it could refer to Shishak's invasion of Judah in 925 BC. Or it could also refer to Pharaoh Necho's killing of King Josiah, one of the good kings, in 609 BC. If you go back to 1 Kings 14 for just a moment, it tells us about King or uh, this uh, King of Egypt, uh, Shishak. 1 Kings 14, verse 25, it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. So they were plundered in that particular attack in 925 B.C. You can go on later in 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 29 and 30. And it mentions here the... the uh, Pharaoh Necho, it says in his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him. And Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. And then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him, and made him king in his father's place. So, these are two other incidents that happened of attacks upon Jerusalem, upon Judah, where this could also refer, when it talks about the young lions roaring and growling and making the land waste and the cities burn without inhabitants. But in both instances, whether with Shishak or with Pharaoh in both instances, what do we find here? Egypt triumphed over Judah Egypt triumphed over Judah and broke, it says, the crown of their head. Uh, literally, it means it grazed or, or shaved the, the crown off the head of Israel or Judah, which was, of course, King Josiah, as mentioned in verse 16 of our text. By the way, the mention of Noph, which is actually the city of Memphis in Egypt, and Tapanes are two cities in Egypt, and it is a reminder it is a reminder of that broken or shaved crown off of their heads, that good king, Josiah. And one of the problems that Josiah had, even as a good king, was that he compromised to have one of these other nations help them when, in fact, that hurt them more than anything else. Because he stopped trusting the Lord and began to trust in others. But now as we move on from that particular thought, we look at verses 17 and 18. It says, have you not brought this on yourself? Now i tell you what, I want you to, if you're, you've got one of those Bibles that you like to underline, and that's a good phrase to underline. Have you not brought this on yourself? Underline that phrase. Or highlight it. Or underline it and highlight it. Or underline it, highlight it, put stars around it, and just so you can see it and come back to it and realize how important this phrase is. Have you not brought this on yourself in that you have forsaken the Lord your God when He led you in the way? And now, why take the road to Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor, which would refer actually to the Nile? Or why take the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the river? Folks, what is there here? There's an irony here, isn't there? When at one time they were set free from their bondage of slavery to Egypt, now they've placed themselves again in that same kind of bondage. 
And I want you to think about this from what we listened to last time, what we heard and read in verses 1 through 13. Instead of drinking the pure water of God's fountain, the people of Judah drank the polluted waters of the Nile and of the Euphrates. But as I said, the key phrase in this passage is in verse, eight, in verse 17. Have you not brought this on yourself? In that you have forsaken the Lord your God when He led you in the way. i got to tell you, this is a hard lesson for all of us to learn. This is a hard lesson for all of us to learn. When a person sins, when a person sins, there are built-in consequences. When a person sins, there are built-in consequences. The prophet Hosea put it this way. And, and I, I want you to look at Hosea 8, verse 7, but, but just the first part of verse 7, because that's really the, encompassing the, the thought here. That is, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. Paul said, you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. I can, I can tell you this, there are nations today that are sowing to the wind, and they're reaping the whirlwind. And, and I have to mention that it has, it has everything to do with the city of Jerusalem. It has everything to do with the way nations are trying to divide that city. And God said, don't divide my city, it's mine. And some nations, even our own, and I, and I hate to say it, but we, we need to pray for our country because we have leaders today who want to divide Jerusalem when the Bible says, don't do it. it you know, God is saying, don't do it, it's mine. They sow the wind, they're going to reap the whirlwind. And as often as the case may be, the way of the transgressor, the way of the sinner is very hard because they refuse to turn from their evil ways and so continue down the path of destruction. Now, I, I did mention last week that God was being merciful when He was saying what He was saying to them. In other words, of coming back to Him, of, of making a, a way for there to be hope for them. It's not a hopeless situation, in other words, but, but they're making it more hopeless in the sense of the way that they're disobeying God and going away from His statutes and His, and His Word than listening to what He has to say. And it leads us to this significant principle expressed in verse 19, which we looked at a little bit last week, but we're going to look at in a little bit more detail tonight. Verse 19, your own wickedness will correct you. Remember that one of the, one of the themes of last week's passage was backsliding. The nation of Israel had backslidden away from the Lord. Backslid, backsliding has a lot to do with stubbornness. It has a lot to do with, with you know, hard-headedness. It has a lot to do with a stiff-necked person saying, I'm not going the way you want me to go, Lord. I'm going to go at it my own way. And we get stiff-necked. And that's a word in Scripture. It's, it's, it's describing, you know, those... Mules or donkeys, you know, that you know, you have a, a master of the, the donkey, not much of a master when he's pulling, and the, ma the donkey goes the other way and pulls him. But that's the description that God is saying in the scriptures of those who are rebellious against God and sliding back or sliding away from His truth and from His leading, His guiding, and His direction. Your own wickedness will correct you, and your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that, if, that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God and the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. This nation had gotten to the point where they who were supposed to fear God, in other words, reverence God, in other words, worship God, in other words, bow down to their God, they, re, they, they stopped doing that. Even if they were offering sacrifices in the temple, they were not worshiping from the heart. So backsliders who eventually got backsided, you know what I mean when a person gets backsided? It means they get flat on their backs and bloodied by it all. Backsliders who eventually get backsided usually shake their fists up to the heavens. And what do they say? God, why are you doing this to me? 
Why are you doing this to me? But the reality is that their calamity is simply the result of forsaking the Lord and ignoring His Word. There are those who will argue. There are those who will argue that AIDS is a judgment from God. But I want you to consider something. I want you to consider something. That AIDS, for the most part, is the consequence of an immoral and sinful lifestyle. I want you to think of it this way. And by the way, I'm not saying that God doesn't judge. He does. But I want you to get the, I want you to get the distinctive here. I want you to make a distinction. When your parents... When your parents told you not to put your hand in the fire or not to put your hand on the hot stove and you did it anyway, remember? I mean, you know, it could have been as innocuous as saying, don't walk on the grass and you walked on the grass anyway. And then came a little judgment. But I think think the, the, the better illustration is when they tell you don't touch that hot stove and you touch it anyway, was the judgment from your parents? No. It burned your hand. Ha! It's smoking. Smells like menudo. It wasn't judgment from your parents. They warned you. Don't touch the hot stove. So it wasn't judgment from your parents. It was the consequence of you disobeying your parents. It was the consequence of your actions and sin has built-in consequences. In the New Living Translation of Jeremiah 2 verse 19, it says, Your own wickedness will punish you. You will see what an evil, bitter thing it is to forsake the Lord your God, having no fear of Him. I, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, have spoken. Your own wickedness will punish you. And so a lot of times we need to, we need to be aware of that distinction. Yes, God is a God who will judge, and He judges because He is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He is a true God. And he has to be true to what he says he's going to have to do. But the fact of the matter is, if he says, don't go this direction, because this is what's going to happen to you, if you do, your wickedness has now judged you. Your disobedience, your sin has now disciplined you. Or worse, punished you. You see, last week, Judah was not only acting as an unfaithful wife and as a broken cistern that could hold no water, Judah was also acting like a willful, stubborn beast, a willful, stubborn animal. Look at verse 20. For of old I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds. Now, a yoke was something that was put on an animal. A yoke was was a, a, a... a piece of wood and a little bit of metal was used as well to be placed over the the shoulders of a beast of burden so that the master could control it. Most of the time, uh, a younger beast of burden was was yoked to a larger beast of burden, a more mature one who would lead them along the way so that the young one would not go his own way Is it any wonder why Jesus said, uh, let me put my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. We'll get to that in a moment. It says, for of old I've broken your yoke and burst your bonds. And you said, I will not transgress. I'm not going to transgress. I'm not going to sin. And when on every high hill and under every green tee you lay down, playing the harlot. 
I won't transgress. You go to the temple, you, you, you lay down the sacrifices, you feel good about it, you go home, but your heart's not right, your heart's not toward God. And when you lay those things down, you say, oh, I'm not going to transgress. And then you go off to your little high place where you worship the gods of the, of the world. You see, the Lord compared the people of Judah to an unruly animal that wouldn't wear the yoke, revealing their stubborn, evil hearts. We will see this time and again in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, there are a lot more passages here, but I'm going to give you a few. Jeremiah 3.17. I want you to notice what it says. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. But no, notice it says, no more shall they follow the dictates. By the way, that word dictates in the Hebrew literally means the imaginations or the stubbornness of their evil hearts. So no more shall they follow the stubbornness or the dictates of their evil hearts. Jeremiah 7:24. Think about it the same way. Yet they did not obey nor or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates or the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and they went backward, not forward. Jeremiah 9, verses 13 and 14, And the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which I said before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it, but they have walked according to the dictates, or the stubbornness of their own hearts, and after the Baals, or the Baals, which their fathers taught them. And we could go on and on and on. I think if you remember, I said last week, that the word heart is a very key word in the book of Jeremiah. Sixty times we see it mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. But going back to our text in verse 20, I want you to notice that it says, And you said, I will not transgress. How many times when presented with the law of God, how many times when presented with the statutes of God, they said, oh yes, we'll do it. How many times? You see, prior to Moses going up to get the law of God on Mount Sinai, he asked the people if they were willing to follow the Lord. And what was their answer? Exodus 19, verse 8. All the people answered together and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. But as soon as Moses went up to get the law, what happened? Moses goes to get the law. By the time he gets up there to get the law, they'd already broken all the law. And when Joshua... When Joshua was passing from the scene, you know, he's getting ready to, you know, pass on from this earth. And he exhorts the people to follow God. When he says this, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What did, what did they say in Joshua 24, 24? The people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve in His voice, we will obey. We'll do everything that God says. <laughs> and yet... As soon as Joshua died, they went after false gods, serving them instead of the true and the living God. Just read the book of Judges. The whole generation that had, that had come, you know, that had come into the Promised Land. Once that generation died, that generation that followed Joshua and that followed the Lord, when that generation died, we're told the saddest tale, the saddest story in the book of Judges, that the new generation did not know the Lord. And Josiah the king, as we've already mentioned, brought a certain amount of reform to the people which resulted in you know they were cleaning up their acts outwardly for the most part but their hearts remained far from God the reason why the people did things outwardly was because Josiah was a good king and, and they, they wanted to please Josiah but they didn't please the Lord And I know that I mentioned this last week, but reform doesn't last. 
reform doesn't last. Regeneration does. Reform does not last. Regeneration does. What is regeneration? Very simply, what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 verse 7, when he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You must be born again. You see, reform doesn't last. You can take a pig. And I like pigs. Don't y'all like pigs? Well, now, if you eat bacon in the morning, sausage, you eat carnitas, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Don't tell me you don't like pig. <laughs> you take a pig, and, and you know, pigs, they... They like mud, you know. They like to kind of get in it and roll in it. They just like mud. I don't know. It's just nature of a pig, I suppose. You take that pig and you clean it up, and you man, you put a, you know, that body wash on it, and then you scrub them up real good. You know, uh, shave off the little things here and there. Work on his nose a little bit. Pump up his ears a little bit. Get him ready for you know, you know the state fair or whatever it is, and you get that thing smelling good. You kind of spray your, depending on what uh, you know gender that pig is, maybe you know a little Old Spice here or a little you know Chanel number five over here. Do all that kind of stuff to a pig. As soon as you got it ready, what's going to happen? You let it loose. Where's it going to go? It's not going to go to a mirror. You know, it's not going to do that. It's going to go right straight to the mud. Roll in it. Because that's what its nature is. You, you can't reform a pig. The only way that man truly changes is not through outward or external rules, laws, or works, but through internal transformation. Through internal transformation. Paul in Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 7 says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. Through the washing of regeneration, not the washing of reform, the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit reside? Inside of us whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The newness is not about what you've done to the outside. It is what has happened and what God has done on the inside. It's what, it's what God has changed on the inside. And I can tell you this, this is one of the greatest struggles of new believers today, is to realize that God is making that change and has made that change when we receive Christ, when we acknowledged our sin, when we confessed our sin, when we repented of our sin, and we said we are no longer going to follow the world, we're going to follow Jesus Christ. The Satan comes and attacks and attacks and attacks to get young believers to think, you know, that they have failed. And that there's no regeneration. You know, just go back to the world. Just go back to your old habits. Go back to your old friends. Go back to your old ways. By the way, it's not only to young Christians, but to uninformed older Christians too. What do I mean by uninformed? Those who don't stay in God's Word. Those who don't stay in prayer. Those who don't stay in constant communication with the Lord. 
Those who make excuses about going to church or make excuses about spending time in Bible study or spending time in prayer or spending time in devotion, you know, you, you received Christ, you prayed, you know, you may have prayed a sinner's prayer, you may have prayed something, but, but you know what? Those attacks are going to come. And this is, why, this is why the scriptures tell us that we need to be vigilant about our salvation. We need to be vigilant about our regeneration. We need to be vigilant about our stand for Christ. We need to be vigilant about our knowledge of God's Word. First Peter, chapter one, verse, First Peter one, verse twenty-three. Having been born again, notice, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Where in us? In us. Jesus said, I'll I'll give you my spirit, and he'll come alongside of you, but he then will be upon you, and then he will be in you. In us! Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And literally it means your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You know the difference between being conformed and being transformed? Conformed, you know, the word con there means with. You kind of go along with the form of the world as it were. I remember it always this way. Chili con carne. Pardon the pardon the uh, the accent. Chile con carne. That's Daryl's accent, but that's okay. <laughs> con carne. You know what does that literally mean? With flesh. That pretty much reminds me what happens when we're conformed to the things of this world. It isn't a matter of being conformed. It is a matter of being transformed by the renewing of our mind and our hearts in Christ. And this is why Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then we learn. We learn that God planted His people in the good land that He gave them. But they didn't produce the harvest of righteousness that He desired. We're going back now to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2, verse 21 and verse 22. It says, Yet I had planted you a noble vine." Literally what he's saying is, I planted you a noble vine. A seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? For though you wash yourself with lye and use such soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me says the Lord God. Just like that pig that we put all that body wash on. Wash yourself. But your iniquity is marked before me. Because you see what God reads is not what's on the outside. He sees what's on the inside. Here's a tremendous thought that you see in verse 21. When he says, how then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? It is a tremendous thought. Listen carefully. It is a tremendous thought that God will do everything except force us to follow him. Isn't that a a heavy duty thought? That God will do everything except force us to follow him? You know why? Because he wants us to love him from our own hearts for what he's done for us. You know, he plants us into good soil. He provides our every need. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And yet we oftentimes refuse to listen to his counsel through his word. Attempting through our own efforts to solve every situation in our lives. 
I think we've all been there at one time or another where we can say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord here, praise the Lord there. And yet when we walk out the doors of the church, we go on and tell God, you know, I want to figure this one out myself. People do that. We've probably done it. But folks, outward acts or cosmetic changes are not enough. Repentance, the seeking of forgiveness, were of necessity for Judah as it was for us when we came to know Christ. I want you to notice the tense that I used. Repentance and the seeking of forgiveness were of necessity for Judah as it was for us when we came to know Christ. We should always remember what Jesus did on the cross once and for all. Died for our sins. Shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. In the book of Hebrews it tells us he doesn't have to do that again. He did it once for all. But just like Peter, who there when Jesus was washing the feet of his apostles before he goes to the cross, and Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. And Peter says, let me have the whole bath then. And Jesus says, you don't need the whole bath. Just your feet, because your feet's been touching the ground. You know, you, we need to clean. There are areas in our lives where we touch the things of this world, and we need to bring them and ask God to cleanse us from those things. We don't need the whole bath, because Jesus already provided that for us on the cross. But Judah needed the whole path. <laughs> I mean, they were just... They weren't getting it, you see. Look at verse 23. How can you say, I am not polluted? I have not gone after the bales. What do we call that? Lies. <laughs> well, a simple lie. Oh, Lord, it's just a little white lie. You know, to God, a lie is a lie. I don't care if it's white, black, green, red, yellow, or blue. I'm not polluted. I've not gone after the bales. God says, see, see your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift dromedary. You know what a dromedary is, right? It's a camel. In particular, a female camel. You're a swift dromedary breaking loose in her ways. A wild donkey used to the wilderness that sniffs at the wind in her desire. <laughs> you know what that means, don't you? That in her time of mating, who can turn her away? Right? You, know, you understand what, what, what he's saying? The desire, the lust the things that are of the world the lust of the eyes of flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life the lust of the the excitement of the things of this world all those who seek her will not weary themselves in her month they will find her boy it's her descriptive isn't it we're not going to have to go into all of that are we you know exactly what these say. Withhold your foot from being unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said, oh, there's no hope. No, for I have loved aliens and after them I will go. There's no hope. I'm just, I'm, you know, I, I bought into it. That's it. There's no hope. The Lord is giving the people a wake up call here. So that they might take notice of their condition. They had fallen into the worst kind of deception. You know what that deception is? Self-deception. They had fallen into the worst kind of deception was just self-deception. How many people go to church on Sunday to worship the Lord and then they live like the devil the rest of the week? We've heard that before, right? They're really deceiving themselves. They're deceiving themselves. Even if the people denied that they were defiled, their actions were proving otherwise. 
Again, they were like animals. A lost camel in search of an oasis. What does a camel need? It needs to, you know, fill up with water, you know. I don't know if camels realize this. But a, but a gallon of, you know, of Evian water is more expensive than a gallon of gas. But I mean, that's another thing. Looking for water. What about a donkey and he looking for a mate? This is how the people of Judah pursued the false gods of the pagan nations. Their shoes wore out and their throats became dry. And that's an interesting picture. Their shoes wore out and their throats became dry because they were searching after the things that were not of God. What happened for 40 years in the wilderness with those, even though they were murmuring and complaining for the most part, most, if not all of them, who were in the wilderness never had to go to pay less to get any more shoes. God took care of them. You understand what I'm saying? They followed God, even though there was a little, you know, He was helping them along. The point of the matter here is this, that because they were pursuing other gods, everything is wearing out. And they're thirsty, why? Because they're thirsting and wanting more, but they can't ever find the satisfaction. That's what the world does to us. It's what the world does to our flesh. How much better it would have been if they had drunk from the refreshing fountain of God. Once again, it comes back to that. They forsook the fountain of living water to go after this polluted water. Verse 25 points out how sad it is when people give themselves over to sin so much that they even despair of being saved. They despair, they, they despair of being saved. They say it's no use. It's hopeless. You see, the enemy seduces people to follow after some strange person or sin and then condemns them to the point of thinking that their situation is hopeless. That there's no way back for them. But what does Jesus say about that? Jesus tells us that there is hope, isn't there? There is hope in Him. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And I want you to remember what we said about yokes earlier. Because here in Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is in effect saying, Yoke yourself to me. But I'm the strong one. And your submission to yoking yourself to me means that you will follow me. Where I go, you go. What I do, you do. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Where is the Christian character of humility today in the church? When so many people are on pulpits and stages and going around here and there saying, you're God, you should have everything that you want, everything that you desire, and you're, you're little gods anyway, so, you know, have at it. Get what you want. Where is the humility of being gentle and lowly in heart? We're yoked to that. That's where we'll find rest for our souls. That gospel, by the way, that false gospel of prosperity, folks, does not hang. It does not fit. It does not sit well in countries where I was reading today about certain countries, Islamic nations, where it's okay for a father to cut out his daughter's tongue and kill her because she became a Christian. That doesn't hang, does it? It just doesn't sit. It doesn't fit. My heart sinks every time I see these preachers with the kind of 
with the kind of attention and, and media that they have to tell people about Jesus Christ because when the time comes there's going to be a tremendous wind of change and even though we have freedom to do what we're doing tonight in this place there's already moves afoot to take our, our freedoms of preaching the gospel away in this country already. And who we vote for in November is going to be key. I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. I'm here to tell you to pray and to be wise about what you read in the papers and what you hear on the news. And you examine the character of people. Because politics, no matter what people may say about their religious positions, politics is a dirty sport. It is about us paying attention and discerning the will of God and knowing the will of God. For my yoke is easy, he says. And my burden is light. Verse 30. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jeremiah 2, verse 26. As the thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets saying to a tree, you're my father. <laughs> we got people doing that today. Tree huggers. Environmentalists. I'm not saying that we're not to be good stewards of what God has given us on this earth. But there are some people who are just weird about this. Saying to a tree, you're my father, and to a stone, you gave birth to me. For they have turned their back to me, and not to their face, and, and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you have made for yourselves? Let them arise, if they can save you in the time of trouble. For according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. In other words, no matter how many cities were in Judah, everybody had their own gods. That's sad because in Judah there was supposed to be only one God. The gods that man makes won't be able to save them no matter what they're made of. In fact, they had so many gods that they didn't realize that in times of trouble only the true God could help them. They didn't realize it. Let's read on because the time, verse 29. Why will you plead with me? By the way, everything's kind of been already established as a foundation, so when we read this, it's understandable. Why will you plead with me? You all have transgressed against me, says the Lord. In vain I have chastened your children. They receive no correction. Wow. That sounds like today. I want to bring my child up in such a way that he's going to determine what he wants, and he's going to, you know... Yeah, but you've got to give us some direction. There's no way that a four or five year old child should be telling parents what they want. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. We are to bring up our children in the way that they should go. In Christ. In the Lord. But if they don't know the Lord, then we see there's a problem there. They receive no correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. O generation, see the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness? What's he saying? In the wilderness I was the light to you. All of a sudden you're treating me like I'm darkness? Why do my people say, we are lords, we will come no more to you? We are lords, we are gods? People are saying that today. They're being taught that. You're little gods. I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that. Don't label me that, man. I know what I am. I'm a sinner. And I need God's salvation. I need God's grace through Jesus Christ. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. Notice he didn't say I was the chief of sinners. He says, I am. He knew what he was and who he was.
As long as there was a Christ who was alive and holy and risen, he knew who he was. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Why do you beautify your way to seek love? <laughs> Boy, that will give us an hour to <laughs> talk about that if we, if we had the time. The way people dolly themselves up just for attention. Why do you beautify your way to seek love? Therefore you've also taught the wicked women your ways. Wow! Also on your skirts is found the blood of the lives of the poor innocents. I've not found it by secret search, but plainly on all these things. In other words, you've been doing this even in, in hidden places. And yet you say, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. You justify yourself. You're self-deceived into thinking, I'm not a sinner. God doesn't see. God doesn't know. God doesn't care. Behold, I will plead my case against you because you say, I have not sinned. Folks, I think it's really good if we say, I'm a sinner. <laughs> Let me just acknowledge that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, it tells us here that they killed the prophets. One way to deal with prophets you don't like is kill them. Silence the truth that is coming against you. What a sad day it is when people have moved so far away from God that they're calling themselves gods or lords. Let's, let's finish now, verses 36 and 37. Why do you gad about so much to change your way? Also you shall be ashamed of Egypt as you were ashamed of Assyria. Indeed, you will go forth from him with your hands on your head. What does that mean? Prisoner. Not free. Prisoner. For the Lord has rejected your trusted allies, and you will not prosper by them. In his desire to keep peace with his neighbors, Judah had fluttered between Egypt and Assyria, both of whom would ultimately disappoint Judah. There are times that we can read in the scriptures. Don't have the time today, but in Second Chronicles, Second Kings, there are times when we see that they begin to trust these kings, and those nations actually aren't looking for the best interest of Judah or Israel. So they let them down. It's easy to do when you don't care about the God of Israel. The picture in verse 37 here is of prisoners of war with their hands tied above their heads being led away captive. What did we talk about when we first started? What a, what a sad thing it is when people say that they're free but they're, they're under bondage. What have they been saying all along? We're gods. We're free. We, we, we're not sinners. We haven't sinned. We're okay. God's not going to get us. Any decisions that we make that are contrary to God's plan will always lead to bondage because only the truth will set us free. Only the truth will set us free. Truth is, we're all sinners. Truth is, we can't save ourselves. Truth is, it doesn't matter how much we do on the outside, it's not going to change the inside. Truth is, Jesus Christ can. Truth is, Jesus died for us. The Lamb of God taketh away the sins of the world. Has died for us. Truth is, the blood that was shed of the Lamb of God was shed for our forgiveness for the remission of our sins. Truth is, on the third day, Jesus rose again to show that he has power over sin and over death. Truth is, without Jesus, we are nothing. Without Jesus, we have nothing. Without Jesus, we are nothing. And Jesus said, come to the fountain of living waters. He is that fountain. He is that life. In John 8, 30 through 32, 
As he spoke these words, many believed him. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Those of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are dying for their faith today, though they die, they are free. Those that are killing them are bound by sin, bound by demonic forces, bound by hatred. But the one who dies in Christ is free. A person behind bars who comes to know Christ, truly comes to know Christ, is more free than the captor who, who holds the keys to the, to the cell, who doesn't know Jesus. Let's understand that freedom is what God does to the heart through Jesus Christ. But you need Jesus. And you need to live for him. And you need to love him. And you need to let him lead you and guide you and fill you with his spirit. Let's pray.